You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn into your Bibles to, uh, to fir- the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John is what we're studying all this month. Did anybody come to Sunday School yesterday? I mean, <laughs> last week. No, because we were at Fall Retreat. Remember that? Anybody go to Fall Retreat? Were you there? Yes. I was there too. It was sweet. Um, today we're going to be talking about 1 John. And uh, all this month we're talking about 1 John. And today I want to read a passage that is just really, really cool. And it's uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It's just, I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to read it twice because I'm only going to read 5 through 6, 5 through 7. Here we go. Verse 5 says, This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. Everybody say light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I think this passage is really sweet, so I'm going to read it again. And if you were thinking about coffee, or if you were thinking about outside, think about light, and think about this passage. It's amazing. It's sweet. It's one of the coolest analogies, I think, in the book of 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Isn't that amazing? It's sweet. He, the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, and we could walk in the light as God himself is in the light. Let's pray to him this morning. Jesus, we do. We just welcome you in here. God, we welcome your light in here, your truth, your goodness, your knowledge. God, as we study light and as we study the book of 1 John and how John used the the subject and the idea of light to portray who you are, God, would you enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our spirits, that we might know you better, that we might recognize who you are as our Savior, as God's Son, as someone who we could have a relationship with. God, we just welcome you in here. We praise you. We give you all honor this morning. And everybody screamed, Amen. Bam. Amen. Well, everybody, welcome to Mill Sunday School. If you're newish around here, let me just say welcome. It's so cool. I was, I was thinking to myself this morning, no one's going to come to Sunday school. Everyone's going to look outside and be like, oh, the, the snow, I can't get out of bed. But you all are here. Give yourself a hand. You, it's, uh, it's someday is soon we're going to have like a legitimate snowstorm where there's snow on the road. And I don't think, no, we did. In the history of Sunday school, we've kind of been doing Sunday school for like the last three years. And in the history of Sunday school, I couldn't get out on my driveway one year. And so I think we just canceled Sunday school, and, but we, st- we always have church. Did you know that? I don't think New Life Church has ever closed. There's been really bad Sundays, and people just come, and there's like 10 of them, and the pastor, and we just, we, we just do it. <laughs> we do church. That's how we roll here. And so um, Sunday school is pretty sweet. Um, this last week on Wednesday, we have a staff meeting every Wednesday where everybody from New Life staff, all the pastors, all the interns, all the... Um, janitors, everybody that works for New Life, every Wednesday we meet, we do worship, 
and then we get a sermon slash pep talk by Brady Boyd. And in this last week, he was talking about the goals of New Life Church. And he talked about the things we need to be passionate about to be to carry out the goals of New Life Church. And he handed everybody a flyer that had 10 things on it, 10 passions, 10 goals of New Life Church. And the first one was to see that we are passionate to see the lost saved. For the lost, the people that don't know Jesus, to find Jesus, to find a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's passion number one. And passion number two that lines up with the goal of the Mill Sunday School is this. The passion for discipleship, to see every member, that's you guys, equipped to use the spirit, their spiritual gifts and to be released to use them to their maximum force. So we in here, the Mill Sunday School is about discipleship. Jesus was a, was a, um, a leader and his disciples, is it disciples, rabbi? Yeah, Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, and he had disciples. And so discipleship is really about learning from a teacher, learning um, goodness and truth and the way of life from someone. So if you're someone's disciple, you're learning from them about truth and the way of life. And so the Mill Sunday School is kind of about discipleship. We take seriously that we get into theology. We take seriously the idea of digging into the Bible and learning eternal truths in here. And I joke that the Mill Sunday School is the Mill Nerds. Because we are. We are the people that like to go a little bit further. And I guarantee you, this is, this is just my idea, that if you, if you say, I'm going to keep coming to Sunday School for a whole year, and you plan on coming to Sunday School for a whole year, you are going to get... Um, educated in a way that you you probably couldn't get from sermons. You probably couldn't get from, from like, I don't know, I guess just Bible studies or Bible studies on your own. We take it another step here in Mill Sunday School, and I like to compare Sunday School to like almost a college-level Bible course of like all genres, because this month we're talking about First John. Next month we're talking about world religions. And where can you get that? I mean, how often have you heard a sermon comparing world religions? I don't think I have, but in Mill Sunday School, we do it. Yes, that's what we're all about. So um, we're talking about First John today. There's three subjects of for the book of First John. If, if you turn there, it's right towards the very end of the Bible. It was written by a dude named John. You'd be correct if you answered John. He also wrote, did you know he also wrote the Gospel of John? Same dude. Did you know he also wrote the, the book of Revelation? Same dude. Did you know that he was the fisherman who Jesus calls to be his disciple? Same dude. Did you know that he was, uh, the, he's, he calls himself in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved? Same dude. Same guy right in 1 John. In the book of 1 John, he writes about three themes. He writes about life, light, and love. And if you highlight these three L words throughout the book of 1 John, like I did, you're going to go highlight or crazy. Anybody else like to highlight their Bibles? I love highlighting my Bible. I bought these special highlighters. They were like $10 each. And they're not supposed to bleed, bleed, bleed through. They were really sweet. So I just went nuts. Last time, we talked about life, how life is a theme in the book of 1 John. Next week, we're going to talk about love, agape, how that is a theme of 1 John. But today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about light. Oh, did you like that? <laughs> Oh, it's so sweet. I have a flashlight up here just in case it got too dark for people to see. Although I think you could see fine, huh? There's so much light coming in. Light. Do you see that? 
It's so amazing. I just have a flashlight. I want to shine it in somebody's eyes. That'd be so fun. But light is uh, what what uh, physics people. What are they called? Phys- physicists. Yeah, I almost said physicians. But they're not physicians. They're physicists. Physicists call call light the most elementary of particles. They call it a photon. It's electromagnetic energy in the form of a wavelength that is visible to the human eye. And my flashlight here is has a white light in it, kind of like the light that's coming from outside. And, uh, you know, it's no coincidence that... You know, it, it, just for imagine for a second, there's tons of light coming in from the windows and, and random stuff in here. But imagine it's pitch black in here. You wouldn't be able to see it all. Humans are designed to see stuff. Ever since you got up this morning, you've been seeing things, right? Unless, unless you have, I mean, there's legitimate people that are disabled and, and are blind. Unless you're blind, you see stuff. And you do, it's our greatest sense I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's kind of quiet right now, right? You're not hearing anything. Some of you are tasting things. Some of you are not. Some of you are smelling things. Some of you are not. But we're all seeing things because it's our greatest sense. And it's no, it's no, I don't think it's no joke. It's no coincidence that God's first words in the Bible are, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light is good. And some people get they get all worked up because God created light on the first day, and yet it wasn't until the fifth day which he creates the sun and the stars and uh, the moon. And so how is there light without the sun and the stars? Do you know? It's in this passage that we just read, that God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. God can do anything he wants. He created light so that we can see. And here's something really cool about light. This is white light. Um, and so, as some of you know, some of you uh, physicists know that, uh, like, the, the board has green and orange on it. And you can see those colors because the, the light and the white light, it has all the colors in it, all seven colors. Do you know what those colors are? Roy G. Bibb. Who said that? Yeah, Roy G. Bibb. Red, orange, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. And so if I was to, it is the colors of the rainbow. (laughs) And so if I was to turn this off, and so now it's pitch black in here, right? Supposedly. And we just turned on the red lights. Ooh, everybody say, ooh. Now this, it's kind of a, it's, if I stand here, let's see, just in the red light, you know that my pants are blue, my shirt is white, but everything on me looks red. Everything is really a shade of red, Right? Because, all, I mean, there's lots of light coming in from various things, and so you can know that uh, I'm other colors besides shades of red. But my pants, they look like a shade of red, right? They don't look blue. They look like a shade of red. My shirt doesn't look white. It looks as if it's a shade of pink. But I'm not wearing a pink shirt. I don't roll like that. <laughs> and so here's, here's the point of the, the, the red light thing. God sees us better than we can see ourselves. If, if I was teaching a physics class, I would have the, 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 the wavelengths of light up here. Maybe we, we should turn up the lights now, huh? So you can see what's going on. Yay. Yeah, if, if the, the wavelengths of light. There's, lot, there's a bunch of light, different kinds of light in the spectrum of light. Visible light just makes up a portion of that spectrum. But you know that 
X-rays. Did you know that ultraviolet light? Um, um, what's the kind of light when you see when you uh, infrared light? Yeah, with the night light goggles on are different types. Are different. You know what I'm talking about. Are di- <laughs> it's all in the spectrum of electromagnetic radiation. And so it's not too crazy to think that God can see in all of those different colors, all those different spectrums of light, right? That's the main point. The main point is that God knows us better than we even know ourselves. God knows when we had the lights off in here, maybe some of those back corners were very dark. And in some of our lives, there may be dark corners in our lives. But the Bible talks about light, how we need to walk in the light as he is in the light, that darkness is not a good thing, that secrets are not a good thing, that God knows us better than we even know ourselves, that if we obey a rule, but we obey it for the wrong reason, God knows our motives. He knows us very well. But the question that I have for you is how well do you know God? How well are you in relationship with him? You know, throughout history, um, even before the Bible, even before the New Testament, even before the book of John was written, people were using the idea of light to portray the idea of good versus evil, to, to portray the idea of truth versus covered truth or unrevealed truth are things that are hidden from us. There's a philosopher. He's really cool. Does anybody like philosophy? Me too. It's like this table right here. I'm connecting with that table, philosophy table over there. Um, there's this philosopher. I'll tell you his name in a, in a second. He's really, really famous. He lived around 300 to 400 B.C., maybe 300, 350. I give you his exact dates in case you're wondering. Uh, 428 through 348 B.C. This dude, this Greek philosopher, lived. And he used the idea of light to portray the idea of, of truth and unrevealed truth. Things that are not true are things that are false versus the true things. And this is the guy that was trained by Socrates. And this is the guy that got to train Aristotle. Do you know his name? Yeah, his name is Plato, just like the stuff you play with. That's what he's named after. Um, Plato, Plato lived a long time, at least 300 years before Christ. And so it's very, very possible. It's more than possible. It's almost 100% sure that we know that John, the author of this book of the Bible, knew of the writings of Plato. Probably had heard them. Very, very possibly had read some of the works of Plato. You know the New Testament is written in Greek. Plato was a Greek dude, a Greek philosopher, also reading and writing in Greek. And it's very possible that um, John would have been very familiar with the allegory of the cave by Plato. Have you read that in high school? Have you ever taken a philosophy class and had to read the allegory of the cave? It's, It's in Plato's book called The Republic, which is an extremely long and boring book to read. It really is. I, maybe some of you are, are legitimate nerds and, and enjoy, and th- th- I just have a whole new respect for you if, you, if you would like reading The Republic. But there is a passage in the seventh chapter of The Republic that is really fun to read. It's called The Allegory of the Cave. And I remember in high school, as a junior, I think, reading this, this story, The Allegory of the Cave, that, that Plato writes, and, th- and thinking back and thinking, is this a Christian? Is Plato a Christian? I had no idea where Plato fit. Plato is 300 years before Christ. But I remember in high school reading this thinking, is Plato a Christian? 
because it's very Christian-ish in ideas. Let me give you the gist of it. The first sentence says, Behold, human beings in an underground cave, which has its mouth open towards the light, reaching along the cave. Here they have been since their childhood and have their legs and necks chained so that they cannot move and can only see before them, being prevented by the chains from turning around. Above and behind them is a fire blazing in the distance, and between the fire and the prisoners there's a a raised walkway. And you would see if you looked at the wall uh, built along the way like like a screen marionette players have in front of them over which they show the puppets. Puppets, I see. It's, like, it's, this, it's written in like a conversation form. And do you see, I said, men passing along, carrying along all sorts of vessels and statues and figures of animals made of wood, stone, and various metals, which appear over the wall. Some of them are taking others. Uh, some, of them are ta- some of them are talking. And you, and you have shown me a very strange blah, blah, blah. I'm just rambling on. Here's what it is. They're chained to a cave wall. No, they're chained to the floor of a cave, right? They see in front of them a wall. Behind them is the light, like, oh, like this. Like, there's light coming from behind them. There's a fire coming from behind them. And there's dudes, um, there's a passageway. And so people are walking, carrying all sorts of vases and trees and just random things, walking along. And the people chained to the floor up here, all they see is the shadow on the back wall of things, like people walking, like people holding trees. And if you saw a tree, someone holding a tree, you would think that that person just had a really big head that was, you know, because you're just seeing they've been chained there since childhood. They have no idea of the real world that's behind them, and all they see is the shadow world. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the story. Have you read it? Quite a few of you are. It's a really popular, um, I mean, it's, it's been around since 300 B.C., and it's, it's kind of stood the test of time as far as Plato's ideas and what he thought about um, existence. And so do you see it? People are, since their childhood are chained. All they see <clears throat> are shadows. One person one day gets away. He gets unchained. He turns around and sees light. If you've been in a cave all of your life, your, your eyes are adjusted to the cave lighting. You turn around and see light. Is it going to hurt your eyes? Yeah, it's going to burn. You're going to be like, oh, my eyes. It's so bright. I can't see anything. But despite the pain, he walks towards the light. He gets outside. His light, his eyes adjust, and he realizes that the world is not not these shadow figures being chained to a cave wall. That that's a prison, but outside is real life. And so he sees that, and he's like, "Oh, it's so beautiful! The sun, the the stars, the the ocean, everything outside is real life." So he comes back in to the chained people on the floor and said, "My brothers, my sisters, my homeboys, real life is outside." Get up, get, break free from the chains, and come with me. But they kind of turn around and see the bright light, and they're like, oh, I can't see anything. It burns my eyes. And when he comes back in, he can no longer see because his eyes are adjusted to the outside light. So they think he's just a blind, crazy fool trying to tell them about the real life. And so no one follows him outside. They make rules about you can't listen to anyone from the outside. You can't undo your chains. They make rules and laws forcing themselves to stay there and view the shadow world. Does anyone see the matrix in that idea? The matrix, if you don't know, is is an allegory of the allegory of the cave. That the matrix is the world all around you, Neo. It is the 
It is the world pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Right? That's what Morpheus says to Neo. That is an allegory of Plato's work, the allegory of the cave. Do you see some Christian themes in that? That we're prisoners to a shadow world, to a dark world, and then somebody breaks free. Another human comes to us and says, get up. There's a real world outside full of life and truth. Get up from the world in which you're chained in. Do you see the Christian ideas just popping out at you? And this is being written 300 years before Christ even came. I just think it's really cool. And it's, it's cool to think that, that Plato was writing in a time that was just very dark as far as world history was concerned. Jesus was still 300 years um, in, the, in the coming, in the making, I was going to say, but that doesn't make any sense. Jesus was 300 years after Plato. And John obviously knows, I mean, the, the Greek world was influenced, obviously, by Plato. And, and John is writing in the Roman world. The Roman world was very influenced by the Greek world. Did you know that? It's like the Greco-Roman world. And so as John writes about light, he is obviously thinking back to the Greek ideas of light and how light is a representation of truth. And he's saying, God is light. Isn't that an awesome image? That God himself is light. In him is no darkness at all. And if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And then it says the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. What an amazing just idea being shown to us through the scriptures. So let's talk a little bit about, um, if, you're, if you're in your notes, um, we've talked about the, the Greek ideas of philosophy. Um, I think in your notes it says the Roman philosophy is next. Is that right? Um, and, and in there, let's talk a little bit about the, the Roman idea of, of what was going on in Rome. Because John is probably writing this book of First John. It's very possible that he's writing it from the island of Patmos. We know for sure that he wrote the book of Revelation from the island of Patmos because he says, I, John, and the island of Patmos write to you <laughs> these seven churches. Um, and did you know that the island of Patmos wasn't like a Caribbean island, like we're all nice and pretty and stuff like that? And it was an island where prisoners used to go. It was an island of exile. And why in the world was John being exiled to a prison island? Do you know? Yeah, he was a Christian. And why weren't Christians liked? Well, because in the Roman Empire, the, the leader of the Roman Empire was the, was the Roman emperor. And he believed that he was a god king. And he wanted everyone to worship him. Nero, Augustus Caesar, um, Tiberius, see, all, the, all the Caesars, all the emperors demanded people worship him. Now, if you're a Roman and you're not a Christian, then you believe in all kinds of different gods and spiritual worlds. And so it's, it's no big deal for you to say, okay, let's just add one more, that the emperor is also kind of a god. I'll bow down. I'll worship him. No big deal. But if you're a Christian, will you bow down and worship a man? No, you will bow down and worship Jesus and God himself alone. And we believe in the Trinity, that Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are God. And we will only bow down and worship him. And so as Christians did not bow down, this pe people from this new religion did not bow down and worship the emperor. They were either killed, they were brought into coliseums, they were exiled to prison islands like Patmos, like where John was, and bad news kind of happened to them. Religiously speaking, what did the religious world of the, of the Roman Empire look like around 65 to 95 A.D.? Do you know? 
you'd kind of be half right if you said, well, the, the Greco-Roman gods, like Zeus, Hermes, Aphrodite, Apollo, you know all those dudes and dudettes? All the Greek gods, all the Roman gods. The Greek gods get Roman names, and the Romans kind of worship them as well. Those gods were, were more like 208 B.C., 300 B.C., 100 B.C. The time now when John is writing this is, is about 95 A.D. So almost that, the religion of Zeus and Hermes and Aphrodite, at this point, when John is writing, is almost like the religion of your fathers and your great-grandfathers. It's no longer the popular religion of the day. In your notes is a term called Gnosticism. Do you see that in your notes? Gnosticism, does anybody know what that term means? You do? What does it mean? Yeah, secret knowledge. Write that. If you're taking notes, you, right next to Gnosticism, write down secret hidden knowledge, a.k.a. If you're writing notes, you could put down that Gnosticism is a.k.a. mystery religions. Sounds mysterious, doesn't it? It sounds kind of dark and hidden and mysterious, as well it should. Let me talk a little bit about Gnosticism. Because some people, some scholars of Christianity, say that Gnosticism was the greatest challenge that the Christian church faced during the first century A.D. I mean, there's lots of things. I mean, the, the executions, the persecutions, the martyrdom was up there. The, the fact that they were coming from a Jewish religion was up there, but some scholars would say that Gnosticism was the biggest challenge to Christianity because the, the mass populace of the Roman Empire, the regular people like you and I, would probably be some sort of Gnostic religion. And as we became Christians, we would have lots of beliefs of Gnosticism. Trying, to, We would bring in some of our beliefs of Gnosticism into Christianity. And some of it is similar. Some of it is very not similar to Christianity. Let me list some stuff about what Gnosticism was. Um, Gnosticism centered around a personal God. Do we believe in a personal God? Yeah, we do. I mean, compared to like Zeus and Aphrodite and Apollo, I mean, these are just gods. We don't have, the people didn't believe that you could have a relationship with Zeus. They were far off deities. But in Gnosticism, people believed in a personal God, that you could have a personal almost like an angel following you around, almost like there was a God of your house or a God of the city that you could have a personal relationship with. And it was very secretive. There were seances. There were um, initiation practices. If you wanted to be, if someone invited you over to your house, they said, why don't you come over tonight? We're going to worship this God. Make up a name for whatever God you want. We're going to worship this God. If you want to come to this club, if you want to be initiated in, you have to bring a bull or a goat or some sort of animal in which we're going to sacrifice and then we're going to cook it and have a big meal and eat it. If you've read the New Testament, you'll know, especially in the books and letters of Paul, that eating meat sacrificed to, to pagans was a very serious thing. It was a very big problem, right? Have you read about that? And that's why, because, because in these initiation services, they would, they would have these bulls or goats or whatever, and they would sacrifice them to a god. You'd have a big meal, and then maybe you'd go downstairs where there was just like a single candle lit, kind of like it was in here when it was all dark and I just had my flashlight. It was scary, right? You were all were scared. <laughs> There'd maybe be a single candle lit. Maybe somebody down there would make a fire and then put out the fire with like green leaves, and so it would be very smoky, 
and you could barely see, and you'd, you'd call upon um, the God to appear to you. There'd be seances, very possibly some sort of sexual acts, not to get gruesome on you. Um, if you were initiated in, maybe you'd have a, an ancient, some sort of weird tattoo on your body saying that you were a follower of this particular God, and you would, downstairs in that basement, and maybe possibly with alcohol or some sort of, some sort of drugs, try to conjure up a vision of the personal God to whom you wanted to meet with. And that's what was popular at the time of Rome. And it was very secretive that you could somehow get secret knowledge from this God, secret knowledge from this group of people, and keep that knowledge to yourself, to your group, and that you were saved somehow by knowing the secret God that only you and your little seance buddies knew about. You know, at New Life Church, there's not that many secrets. I mean, how many... How many secretive meetings do you... I mean, do we have like church services like in the middle of the woods where it's all dark and only a few people are invited? <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> and if I knew about... I mean, if somebody wanted to do that, I would say, well, be careful with that because we do not worship a God who keeps himself secret. We do not worship a God who keeps himself in the darkness. But we, have a, we worship a God who is light. Who, I mean, New Life Church is literally open door to anybody that wants to come in. Anybody can come to New Life Church, worship with us, um, whether they believe in Jesus or they don't, they're welcome to just see it, right? That's, I mean, that's how we roll. That's what we think that's important, that we're not having little secret seances in the basement of New Life Church. That would be bad business. You know, there's some religions that do have secret services and secret things going on. Um, there's a mission trip from the mill going on right now as we speak. They're, they went to Salt Lake City, Utah to have conversations and kind of be a witness to the Mormon church, to the LDS church. And there's a lot of, don't, don't hear me wrong, there's a lot of good things in the Mormon church. Um, they would say that they believe in Jesus and the Bible. There's some good things in the Mormon church, don't get me wrong. But there are some things that are very different that would separate us from being, we're not Mormon. And I would say that Mormons are not Christians because they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe in the Trinity. They have other books other than the Bible. And so there's some differences there. And I bring them up to say that by their own admission, they do have secret practices. That, that, in the te- that you can go to downtown Salt Lake City and go to the temple and like go through the lobby and get the little tour. Has anybody ever done that? It's kind of cool. I've done it. I used to live in Utah for like three years. Um, and if you go there, you can't go in to the inner... I don't even know what they call it. Do they call it the inner inner holy of holies or something? Does anybody know? Roughly. Um, yeah, you can't go into the tabernacle if you're not a member of the Mormon church, if you're not a member of good standing. And I had a friend that was kind of telling, he came out of Mormonism and started coming to our church and proclaimed Jesus as his Lord and, and way of salvation, not through the Mormon church. He became a Christian. And he was telling me, you're not supposed to tell anybody about these secret practices, but he thought, well the, well, the religion's false anyway, so why not <laughs> tell you a few things. He said that he, when he was um, getting initiated in, he went inside the temple, and there was like a curtain drawn that you could kind of see through, kind of not. He was totally naked, and he stood face-to-face with someone who was on the other side of the curtain, and, he, and the, the other dude whispered to him a secret heavenly name, and that, that the secret seance, the secret thing that happened was him getting a secret name, a heavenly name that he couldn't tell anyone about. And he told me, I forget what it was. Um, <laughs> but it's all this secret stuff that somehow, that, that somehow they believe that God 
is a God of secrets and that only those who are truly following him can know about him and have to keep him secret, have to keep God's ways secretive. And that is not at all what John says. Listen to this. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's the God whom we serve, a God that doesn't need to be worshipped downstairs secretively in some weird little weird basement, that we can just go outside, look up, look anywhere, invite all our friends to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the light of the world. Right? Amen to that. And so as we talk about Gnosticism, there were some early church fathers. In your notes now, we're looking at uh, two dudes. One is Justin Martyr. The other is Tertullian. And then we're going to have just a second to, to talk about this. So get ready to chat a little bit. But these two dudes were in the age of Gnosticism. They were living, Justin Martyr lives around 100 A.D. to 165 A.D. It's very possible that he was around right when John was around that he could have known John, possibly, maybe not. And Justin Martyr, did you know that people kind of in the ancient world don't have last names? If you were from, uh, like, Leonardo da Vinci. Da Vinci isn't his last name. Leonardo da is from, and then he's from Vinci. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that? uh, So sometimes your last name would be where you're from. Sometimes it's your father's name, like Osama bin Laden. Great example, I know. Did you know that bin means son? So it's Osama, son of Laden, that his last name isn't bin Laden. His life doesn't have a last name. It's kind of more of an ancient culture where they don't have last names. They just take on the last name of their father's first name. Did you know that? Anyways, I say all that just to, just to impress you with, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, but Justin Martyr, Martyr is not his last name. Do you know what Martyr means? Yeah, Martyr means, in the Greek it literally means to witness, to give witness. And that became being a witness for Jesus Christ became so synonymous with dying that we now use the word martyr to say if you're killed or if you die for the cause of Christ or for any cause, you become a martyr for that cause. And so Justin Martyr was killed. He was killed under uh, Marcus Aurelius. Does that name ring a bell to anyone? Some of you it does. If you've seen the movie Gladiator, that's like the old dude that's a good guy. He's the emperor. Um, And then, of course, there's the gladiator. What's his name? Maximus Decimus Meridius. I need to go home and watch that movie again. It's a little violent. Don't go home and watch it if you're susceptible to violence. But if you're not, it's a really good man movie. <laughs> like my wife, she would freak out. You would freak out if we watched Gladiator, huh? Like all the people's heads get cut off and stuff. Yeah, she'd freak out. It's not good. Um, but anyways, uh, oh, Marcus Aurelius in the movie. He's the old guy. He seems like a good guy. But he's not a Christian. He is a Roman emperor, and he demands people worship him as a god. And he is the one that orders Justin Martyr to be killed because, he, because Justin Martyr does not worship Marcus Aurelius as a god because he's not a god. He seems like a good guy in the movie, but he has a bad side to him. He thinks he's god. Anyways, Justin Martyr believes in this. I have a mirror here. I have a mirror. This little bathroom mirror I got at Walgreens. And it's a perfect mirror. It's never been uh, used. It doesn't have any toothpaste or scratches on it or anything on it. And what Justin Martyr believed was that God was light, just like it says in the book of John, that God is light and that we, before the fall, before any mistakes were made, we are like this mirror, perfectly reflecting 
God's light. Beautiful, isn't it? Do you see God's light in it? Do you see yourself? <laughs> that we are, that because we are made in God's image, that we, um, we as humans are reflectant of God's glory. But the fall happened. I'm going to break the mirror. Are you ready for this? I'm going to put it in this bag so the people in the front rows don't get the mirror shattered in their eyes. Then I have a hammer. I hit it over here. <clears throat> to work construction, and uh, I named my tools. This tool is named Scarface. <laughs> I just thought it was really cool. Um, and so I have the mirror in here. It's in the target bag. The mirror, it's in the target bag so no one's eyes get hurt. Cover your ears. It's good. <laughs> and what Justin Martyr said is that when the fall happened, the mirror broke. And here's what also he said. He said that there's pieces of mirror, like these little pieces. I won't cut my hand, I promise. He said the bag is just full of pieces of mirror. And what Justin Martyr said is that these little pieces of mirror are everywhere in the world. They are in us as, as people, as humans. And he said that there's pieces of mirror in every religion. And he even said that the Greeks, like Plato and Aristotle, um, other religions have pieces of of mirror in them, broken pieces, but still tiny little pieces. And so maybe you have a, a piece like we were talking about Mormons, so I just bring them up again. Maybe there's a little bit a bigger a piece of mirror in Mormonism than, say, Buddhism, because Mormons would say that they somewhat believe in Jesus as, as, as Lord, maybe not God. Um, and so it's a broken piece of mirror, but it's still a mirror piece. That's what Justin Martyr said. Do you see the image? Now, there's another dude. Some of you might be thinking, that seems a little off in theology. And maybe it kind of is, because there's a guy that disagreed with him. His name is, next in your notes, his name is Tertullian. Tertullian is known as the Latin uh, church father. He coined the term, get this, I kind of like coining new words and coining cool terms. He is the one that coined the term Trinity. Is, is the word Trinity in the Bible? No, it's not in there. The idea of the Trinity is for sure in the Bible, that God is three persons one substance. But Tertullian is the first dude to say, let's call this the Trinity. And we, of course, just believe in the, we use the term Trinity today. And so ter what Tertullian said is he was more a black and white in faith. He said every, everything is either good or evil. Either you're for God or you're against God. He was more of a lawyer kind of type. And he was very organized. And he brought a lot of organization to theology and to the Christian religion. And what he said was, heck no. There is no pieces of mirror in other religions because other religions, like, say, Buddhism, is leading people away from Jesus Christ. And Jesus said himself that I am the way. Remember this in the book of John? Uh, I think it's 14, verse 7. Is that right? Or seven fourteen? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says he's the light, that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus and so Tertullian said, how in the world can there be a piece of mirror in Buddhism? Because Buddhism leads people away from Jesus. And if you're not with Jesus, then you're against Jesus. Do you see the two different opposing theologies? Now, it might be easy to take a middle ground, but we're not about middle ground in Sunday school. Would you argue 
ferociously with the people at your table? Would you pick a side, pick either Tertullian or pick Justin Martyr and say, I like Justin Martyr's side or I like Tertullian's side and get into a little fight? Ready, set, go. All right, what do you think? Have you fought a little bit? I didn't see anybody getting mad. I'm disappointed. (laughs) There you go. Does someone want to be bold enough and and stand up for the side of Justin Martyr and give us a little argument for Justin Martyr's side? That there's pieces of mirror, that there's pieces of truth in everything. Anybody? Anybody bold enough? Yes, ma'am. Oh, that's good. Another analogy. Anybody else for Justin Martyr's side? Just Justin Martyr's side. In the back, I saw you guys kind of fighting back there. Micah, you got something for us? Yeah, that's good. Did you guys hear that-ish? He said, your main point, you can correct me if I, if I didn't get it right, but your, your main point was that in witnessing to people of other religions, it's probably really good to pick out a piece of, of something that's really good and compliment them. For instance, Mormons say, you guys are really just good people. You have great families. You do read the Bible. Those are all good things. But let me show you the whole picture, right? Okay, let's, let's get a fight going on here. Um, what about Tertullian? Does anyone have a side for Tertullian that they want to argue a little bit? Oh, come on. We got to get something going. Nobody? Yes. Stand up if you would. Right, right, yeah. Things are black and white. Either you're with God or you're without God. Very good, thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of still going to hell. <laughs> if, even though you might have a little tiny piece of mirror, it's not enough for, for salvation. Yes, one more for, for Tertullian's side. You ready to go back to Justin Martyr's side? Okay, so give us the last word. Give us the last word. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. I think there's, I mean, I kind of wanted to create a little fight, although you guys are too nice to each other. Um, But I think there is a lot of middle ground between Justin Martyr and Tertullian. But it it really depends on what you're looking at. If this piece of mirror is, is it truth? Or is it just a mirror reflecting some truth? It really depends on, on how you define this piece of mirror that we're using in this analogy. I kind of want to close with the, with the story real quick of when I was a kid, and I used to be a, a, a Boy Scout. <laughs> Anybody else a Boy Scout or Girl Scout? A couple of you. Um, I became an Eagle Scout. I was just really into Boy Scouting when I was a kid. My parents kind of made me, but then I kind of liked it, but then I ended up hating it because there's, like, there's different stages in your life. And I was a Boy Scout all through elementary and middle school and part of high school. And then when I was in high school, it's, it's really not the cool thing to do. <laughs> but in elementary school, it is. Anyways, I'm just sharing my, su- my suffering with you. Um, as a Boy Scout, we, we were a cool troop. There's lots of troops out there that hardly do anything. We were a cool troop that went camping like every single month. We'd go on a camping trip. And we usually have like 20, 30 boys going camping. We had great leaders. It was all good. And we'd talk about a camping trip coming up. We'd all get ready and fired up like, oh, we're going on a winter camping trip. Let's get our sleds ready and all our stuff. And we just had tons of fun getting ready for trips and then going on the Boy Scouting trips. But there's this one trip, this one camping trip that 
hardly anybody wanted to go on. And, and the, the, boy, the, the scoutmaster was saying, we're, gonna, we're all going to go to this camp, and joining with our troop are going to be some disabled boys from, uh, from, from some school that worked with the handicapped students, and, and said, the Boy Scouts and these disabled boys, all of the same age, are going to be paired together. And if you're paired with someone who's in a wheelchair, then you're going to be given a wheelchair, and you're going to have the wheelchair for the whole weekend. And some of us are like, oh, that'd be cool. You know, I could do the wheelchair thing and, and scoot around and, and just still have fun for the whole weekend. And then Scott Master said, if, if, you're, um, if you're paired with another boy who maybe doesn't have an arm, well, then your arm, your left arm or whatever, is going to be tied in a sling, and you're not going to be able to use your left arm just to kind of build relationship with these disabled boys. I mean, right? It just sounds like a cool trip. sounds like a good learning experience. But then he said something that made nobody want to go on the trip. He said, now if you're paired with a blind kid, you're going to be blindfolded for the entire weekend. And all of us were just thinking, wow, that would be brutal. Who wants to go on a camping trip where we might be paired with a, a blind kid and have to be blindfolded for the entire weekend? I mean, that doesn't sound like a fun weekend to me. It sounds like you're going to be in the dark. You're not going to be able to join in on games or burning stuff in the fire, which is so important to every Boy Scout. You're going to be blind the entire weekend. And, if you were hearing impaired, you'd, ha- you'd have uh, earplugs or something. <laughs> but the point was that nobody, no one, not a single person, including myself, signed up for this camp because we were all afraid we might be paired with another boy who was blind. And I give you this analogy to, to not talk about disabled people that are blind. I mean, I know, I know quite a few blind people, too, guys, actually, that, that do just fine in their life. Sure, they might not be able to drive a car around. But they could do a lot of things. They could count their steps to the bus station. They could, uh, they could listen to books on tape. They could read Braille. Both of them could read Braille. They're doing just fine in life. And being blind physically in life, there's ways, of, there's ways of just doing life and doing life really well and being a great human being. But if you're blind spiritually, this is why I brought up this analogy. If you're blind spiritually, there's eternal consequences to being blind spiritually to not knowing that Jesus is the light, that God is light. And if you walk with him in the light, as he is in the light, then you have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we have a relationship with this God, who is called the light, that we might know him and have salvation through him, we are spiritually, we spiritually can see. There are eternal consequences for being blind spiritually. Most people that are blind physically had no choice about it. Either they were born that way or had an accident. But people that are blind spiritually have the choice to remain chained, as Plato said, chained to the wall, chained to the floor of a cave. And even if someone comes to you from the light and says, get up, get unchained, the world is not about this, about what you're being chained to. The world is about light, There's so much more. Get up. Get free from the chains. Break free and see the light of Jesus Christ. And that's what John is talking about right here. That's the message. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we just want to see you as the light of the world. Jesus, you called yourself the light of the world. As John writes this book, a simple fisherman 
type of person writes about light. God, we just thank you for that image, the image that's so real that we need light to see, that we need you and your salvation to have true life. And so, God, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. And, God, just illuminate who we are. Let us be the light of the world. Let us use any piece of mirror that we can in people's lives that are dark and say, here is Jesus. Become unchained from the cave that you're living in and walk in the light as we are locking in the light. God, that we might be the light of the world. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you just for that image that Glenn talked about on Friday, that no angel can say, I was once dark, I was once in sin, I was once a a filthy human being, but while I was in my sin, God saved me. No angel can say that, but we can all say that, that we were sinners, that we were in the darkness, that we had many dark sides of our life, but you came in and you just shed your light upon our life and we can have eternal life in you. And so we just thank you. We praise you for that light. Jesus, we honor you this morning. And everyone said, amen.